Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Dad's Podcast with my main man, Dr. David Wardy. Holding it down in El Paso. What's what's going on down there, buddy? It's windy, buddy. I'm sick of it. Yeah. Is it windy up there? Windy and rainy. Yeah, you guys get rain. We haven't gotten rain yet, but we get it's blowing like every other day here. I'm kind yeah. of done. Yeah, done with that. How that goes? Oh, well, you know how the spring goes, right? Everybody's allergies, and then there's spring glyphosate, the weed killer everywhere. That green stuff you'll see. Like I don't know about up there, but like, do you ever see like the medians look green? Like they sprayed shit down all day. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. This time of year, people's allergies and like their sutures yeah. in the skull and their fascia is just all wound up. And I have to explain to people, I'm like, it's not just the pollen in the air. Like you're breathing in poison that's been spraying for the last month everywhere. Yeah. So that's what we're dealing with. But we're at the back end of that, which is nice. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to some rain. Yeah. Well, you can have some of ours. It's yeah, just been nuts here. Uh, you guys get tons, man. Yeah, yeah. I'll take some. I'm probably right. take some for Wash sure. Wash with the brown. <laughs> yes yes for sure man but yeah, you know like one of the one of the things that we're gonna talk about today with our my dear friend uh pax Fridius. um he's my trainer and you know there's so much to talk about when it comes to the integrity of of the body and you're you're referencing the immune system and what it means to be more adaptable in our world despite the sprays despite the crappy posture sitting on a chair all day uh despite a commute you know, despite our old habits that probably aren't serving us anymore, uh, we love to talk about, you know, disrupting some of the myths around what it means to, you know, be a, a really fully vital human. And a huge part of that, obviously, is the neuromuscular system, how we move our bodies, how can we be more functional in the world that we're living in, and then how do we overcome our work situations, our lifestyle and whatnot with better movement. So, uh, this is my buddy. It's my main man, Pax Frida. So thanks so much for being with us today, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here and to uh, be able to hopefully move the needle for people in a more healthy direction with, like you said, their mind-body connection and uh, their approach to training. That's that's what I do all day, every day is to, is to talk and experience fitness training. Yeah. So I want to paint a picture of the Restore Human space because that's where he works out of or he works out of. Uh, works out people out of that space too <clears throat> you walk into the studio so in Kitsilano Kitsilano is like this really cool vibe uh, you know health conscious community part of Vancouver and you walk into this space and the first thing you don't see is weights everywhere you don't see the machines you don't see like you see logs and trainers wearing these cool how do you say it ball raven Fjallraven. Fjallraven. <laughs> Wearing this like gear that they just look like they came back from a huge hiking trip, which they do. They carry canoes through the wilderness and do these massive like Spartan race type things uh, within their community. But it's it's a space that you're just like, what are we going to do here? Because you see rings hanging from these logs. You see people balancing on things. You see people moving their body in not the typical way, like not drop and give me 20 get to the squat rack, do do the 20 squats. And now we're going to go down to the biceps. It's really functional movement broken down in a really individualized way. And so like this, uh, like I was saying before we got on the call, 
when I go to see Pax to train, it's it's like there's a puzzle and all the pieces are strewn about. And he's seeing the way I move. <clears throat> he's listening to my communication for how I did over the last week. How was my homework? Where did you get stuck? What What's going on? And then he like nails down the right stretch, the right movement, the right muscle patterning to break down where I'm broken down. And it's so illuminating, so refreshing. Like I never know what to expect when I come in. And you're like helping me put the pieces of that puzzle back together and helping me realize new ways to move my body that I didn't know I was capable of. And then finding things that weren't even like muscle groups that weren't even turning on that you would think that they should have been just because I'm a, I'm a human moving around and I've done been in a weight room for many, many years. And uh, But you you highlight things that I was just blind to. And I think probably a lot of people have a sense of that when they work out with a trainer but this is this is next level. So, David, just initial. I, I know you you're the one who first introduced me to to primal movement. But like, like what what do you what do you think of when I when I share a story like that? Well, number one, I wish I lived up there so I could go to a place like that to work out because we don't have cool stuff like that. I think I'm the I think I'm the purple cow in the gym all the time doing stuff like that, and everyone's just kind of looking at me like, what is he doing, right? But you're right, you go into most gyms and it's always just people starting to move weight. And I'm huge with even just telling our practice members, man, like you shouldn't pick up a weight till you have country, complete control of your body. Mm-hmm. You know, and like so many people don't have, like we, we've talked, Nick, physical autonomy, like just with their own body and their own body weight, right? And their mobility and their stability and their strength. And then they're in there and they're just like lifting tons of weights. And then they wonder why they have structural integrity problems. So, I, I love it, man. Like, I, I wish I could, like, I'm going to come visit this year. We'll talk about that later, Nick. But I'd love to come check out Charles' place. Nick will have to take me with him to go work out there. But no, I, I mean, the, this is what we need. This is, I think, what the human race needs. We need more facilities like this where people go to actually work on, on like you're saying, this neuromuscular component because it's it's beyond the strength component, right? Like, you're actually getting better integrity and correct me if I'm wrong packs of your nervous system by training this way. And so I like that type of training because I think if you're working at the neurologic level like that, it, it's compounded as it moves to the other systems of the body. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So yeah. let's get you to packs, break down your philosophy. Like you, you see someone come in, like what, what are you looking at? You're looking at how they're moving, but like take mm-hmm. us on this journey of, of your vision for somebody and and then like with the philosophy of tensegrity and full body mechanical engagement with any sort of range of motion. But I'd love to hear just some of the philosophy. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start with the example you gave of your own um, journey. So you come in, you say, and let's take any client. They say, I have a goal. I want to do handstands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm playing with handstand ideas. And we go, great, let's let's look at the handstand. Let's unpack it. Obviously, it's your whole body upside down on your wrists, uh, maybe freestanding, maybe balancing against a wall. There's so many joints that could be in positions that wouldn't provide optimal loading. Mm-hmm. And that's where like if you put um, a stack of objects slightly offset, they're more likely to fall down. Does that right. make sense? Like Jenga. Like Jenga, yeah. exactly. So if you stack all the Jenga blocks one on top of the other, then you've got good weight distribution. So your center of mass would be aligned and then you could hopefully hold that and have the muscle endurance and the mind to muscle connection for that endurance 
to um, not then produce a problem with the handstand. Maybe people are kicking up against a wall, holding for a while, and then their low back hurts at the end because they've just been dumping all their weight into their lumbar spine because they haven't engaged their core, they haven't engaged their obliques, different things like that. So um, there's that. There's unpacking a specific goal for a student, right? Mm -hmm. What does that student want to do if that person wants to run better? then we need to reverse engineer what they're working with currently with running and then improve specifically what they need because no exercise exists in a vacuum. So you're looking at history of training, um, load-bearing capacity for that person. Some people heel strike when they run Mm -hmm. and that's biomechanically harder to do than forefoot striking or midfoot striking. However, you can have very hard people, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You can have very tough people with strong quadricep muscles and really strong knees that can handle heel striking better than another person. So they don't have pain while running. Pain's a really good indicator of where your practice is going wrong. So pain's the first thing, obviously. We, we look at tone and inflammation in the body. So is there pain in an area? Is an area feeling really sticky and restricted? Then... We look at, um, like you said, David, can someone control their body? So if, um, if, you know, if the listeners want to do a fun example right now, you can hold your hand out and then you can bend your thumb and then you can put it back in place and then you can bend your index finger and you can put it back in place. You can obviously move all your fingers really well, but can you squeeze one of your butt cheeks? And then can you squeeze the other butt cheek? And then can you squeeze one of your calves? And can you squeeze your other calf? And do you know how to do that with all of your different muscles? Obviously, there's 650 plus muscles in the body. We're not going to learn how to squeeze each of them, but we have these big muscle groups that allow us to do um, really well-balanced positions of normal living, right? Mm -hmm. Like reaching for things, bending over, picking up objects, um, squatting on the ground or sitting on the ground or uh, stuff like that. So if we can feel these muscles, talk to them consciously, then we can add weight, like you were saying, David, then we load the system for these other outcomes, like muscle building, right? So if your outcome is aesthetics, you want to look good naked, then it's really important that you know how to fire those muscles, that you know how to squeeze the muscles you're trying to make bigger, and then that you um, understand the amount of reps and sets and challenge necessary to make that muscle bigger. Um, Because a lot of time gets wasted in gyms. A lot of people either lift too little weight or they lift um, with too much momentum, let's say, right? If you Mm. swing a weight through space, there's a lot of momentum. So the work, the load isn't going into the muscle that you're trying to grow. So you're in the gym, you're swinging weights away for three months and you wonder why at the end of that you don't look any different mm-hmm. and it's because there hasn't been that much work as much as you've um probably sweat a little bit from that weight swinging through space the the biceps you were trying to load haven't been haven't been stimulated enough so um yeah there's a lot of concepts in there that we could dive deeper into but that's the idea like what's the person's goal and then Um, what do they have right now? What could they do better in terms of loading for safety long-term so that they don't run into problems? And then how much energy do they have to commit to this change? And that's a really, really huge part with uh, our goal setting with training. 
we need to think, okay, I've got two hours a week to chase this goal. I'm going to be able to hit the gym two hours a week. So I'm, I'm going to structure those two hours towards a nice specific goal. Um, Cause if I am um, just doing a little bit of running once a month and then a little bit of weightlifting once a month, and then I drop into a yoga class, I'm going to feel okay in my body maybe, um, but I'm not going to get those adaptations that I want that are specific. So that's uh, it's one of the first things they teach you in personal training, the said principle S a I D specific adaptations to impose demands. So to get better at something, you need to pretty much do that thing and load it more and more and more. Mm, love that. We love, we love the word adaptation, right? I mean, I think that absolutely so much meaning there, but uh, yeah, please interject. What do you think um, of that philosophy? And well, no, it's, I mean, it's, uh, I like the last part that he brought up. I mean, from any regimen, when you're working on your body, you always want to be, targeting like he's saying specific things that you know you don't do well or like he's saying if you're experiencing pain or I don't feel like I have good control with this part of my body and then like he's saying I mean so you there's targeted pieces and so I always tell people like you go to the gym that's fine because I mean you have the gym junkies that are in there five six days a week right but they're always doing some form of programming then they'll start to have problems and I'm like well are you supplementing your workouts and doing anything after you work out to address mobility maybe here or you know stability of this joint and it's funny because you bring that up to some people and they look at you like the deer in the headlights right like mm-hmm. and so i tell people like when you have issues that you're working on you have to supplement and and like he's saying you have two hours a week you maybe have your general workouts but then you got to supplement it with something else that's gonna go after that targeted goal of making improvements that need like he's saying more de- more demanded you know uh training for that for that problem I'm going to jump in there. Um, in terms of nervous system adaptations, as you guys know, the myelination of nerves happens as we fire those nerves, right? So we have neuromuscular patterns. We we do them well with good technique. And then those nerves become more efficient over time. And the tissues that they contract become more efficient as well. So we're working the um, maybe speed of the contraction of those muscles or um, the intensity of that contraction, the duration of that contraction. So let's say you hold a wall squat, right? You do an isometric squat. You're just holding that position. Can you hold that position for three minutes? And you really start to shake, you know, and the whole system's like going haywire because those nerves don't have that endurance or maybe the muscles don't have that energy supply. So training the isometric position, training that hold will teach you a lot of how those nerves are firing. And then maybe you need a bit more cardio training to deliver nutrients better to your legs as well, because you need circulation. You need um, the delivery of blood with oxygen, with uh, minerals and electrolytes to get all those signals to, to process, right? So that's where we balance the system. Humans are meant to move in three directions, or sorry, in three dimensions, mm-hmm. Um and uh, we're, we're endurance animals. We, we, at least that's where we start. So we can move all day. Um, we have people running ultra marathons. We've got Ironman athletes and um, people who are doing peak stuff like that. But it doesn't have to be that intense. We can also just do activities of daily living, playing with the kids, um, dropping into a soccer game, and then jumping into the weight room. And all of it can feel fairly balanced. It doesn't have to be really intense. 
because um, maybe we have a fine-tuned system that delivers nutrients well, the nerves are efficient, the muscles don't get super fatigued, and um, that leads to that feeling of uh, robustness. You're like, cool, I'm a well-rounded human being. I've got energy during my waking hours, um, and then I spend it and I go to bed. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I love that. No, I love that because, I mean, you're talking about you know, we talk about we're a system of systems and it's neat to hear that from a training perspective, you guys look at things like that. Like, do we need to work on the cardiovascular aspect? Is this a more of a recruitment issue from the nervous system? And it's really good to look, to look like that specifically because that's, it's no different than what me and Nick do. We're looking upstream to see what's not working well, right, of the systems. And then we go and we tackle those things. And honestly, I think that's what most trainers should be doing is like, what is the body not getting that it needs? And we need to start, like you're saying, targeting those specific things. And so many people are, so many people I think are just lost and it's just like, well, let me go in and just start moving weight or let me just go for a run. Right. But they don't know the why it's just the, well, this is how you do it. And this is what you do, but I don't know why I'm doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious, like you, with your training, did you, did you, were you always open to these ideas? Was this taught to you or is this something that you started to like tell us a little bit about your own sort of journey with Mm. looking at the body in this kind of way because it is a it's a holistic approach to movement is what it is it's very different than the conventional you know training expectation of what you'd think that you'd get when you go to a gym yeah um well for me it started about probably 11 years ago or something i i bought my first pair of minimal shoes Mm. and i started drinking bulletproof coffee and I was doing zone two cardio in minimal shoes fueled by fats in my coffee. Mm. I was, you know, drinking oil for breakfast and then going on slow runs with tiny shoes. Um, so that was really fun and funny at the time because all my friends were like, what the hell are you doing? This is this is super weird and you're going to hurt yourself. These shoes don't protect your knees. Um, drinking butter in your coffee is going to give you a heart attack um, and so forth down the myth uh line that uh we've by now busted i hope but um so i got into biohacking back then and then i really wanted to upgrade my own health and and improve my physical capacity Mm -hmm. um then i went down the rabbit hole of training calisthenics Mm -hmm. uh that was one of the starting points a little bit of natural movement which led me to find um carlo who is the director at restore human excuse me and he has done it all. Um, he's been in the industry for a lot longer than I've been. And he's done like self-defense and other combative arts. And um, he's been in the military, um, kettlebell training, um, general physical preparedness. Like these are all um, systems of training, right? Mm-hmm. And they offer specific outcomes to people. So we know that like a runner is going to be able to get from point A to point B um, faster and faster or longer and longer and that's Mm -hmm. running and then you add obstacles into the mix you've got obstacle course racing Mm -hmm. and people now have to run and jump over a wall and climb a rope you know there's more skills in there um so that was all really attractive to me like i just enjoy thinking what can my body do and have Mm -hmm. this this curious approach you know like like a child on a on a jungle gym you're just like can i climb that thing can i can i slide down that thing like it looks fun Mm -hmm. Um, so that was really my, my intro to training. It wasn't a huge 
like pursuit in a specific sport. I didn't, I didn't think, okay, I want to be a power lifter or I want to be a professional soccer player. I just like to play mm-hmm. and, and feel my body playing well. So um, now Restore Human's been in business for almost six years. And during that time, I've really nerded out about all the exercise science stuff, all of what's happening at the cellular level with how oxygen you know, gets delivered to cells and how we need nutrients to allow that to happen and, mm-hmm. um, you know, how to control your blood sugar better, how breathing affects things, all these layers that you can teach people about with training. Um, so that I think something we do foundationally at Restore Human is that lens of curiosity. We don't really prescribe anything to anyone. Like mm-hmm. everyone who walks through the door doesn't have to become a runner, doesn't have to learn handstands if they they don't feel called to it but we hope that they're curious enough mm-hmm. to think can i do a handstand mm-hmm. is that is that cool do i do i find it fun is it safe can i run is that fun and um then you know you go as deep as the rabbit hole goes mm-hmm. yeah, love that. so i'm curious pax i mean you guys work with a lot of athletes do you guys uh work with people with injuries that come in like athletes that are struggling with like shoulder problems hip problems knee problems like hip problems i mean you know the run of the mill definitely and and actually we're not that much of a high performance studio um as it were like we don't work with the majority athletes we have a stack of athletes that work with us um professional triathletes who come in and they they do want to improve their game and it's uh, you know, it's hard to make someone who's already great even better and to help them um, in in that really specific way. And um, it's sometimes equally hard with someone who is more sedentary and who isn't, um, you know, doing it full time, but like we talked about earlier, only has two hours a week to get a well-rounded physicality. So a lot of our people are, um, say, 30-plus-year-olds, who are either pursuing some form of adventurous lifestyle all the way up to that kind of pro athlete level. But the adventurous lifestyle um, is something that we consider very important. And it's people who want to continue to ski every season, even though they're now 35, 45, 55. I have a 70 year old who has a place up in Whistler and she skis like, you know, six hours a week if she can. That's huge. Mm -hmm. 70 smashing it on the ski yeah. hill like oh, that's awesome so my job is for her to not get injured or uh lately to help fix her knee um and and we look at things like that like okay what is a knee made up of what are the functions of the knee and then um let's picture how skiing happens and skiing isn't a very natural movement pattern right the knee is loaded laterally quite a bit and it's not that stable laterally the knee is much more of a hinge joint um that kicks out straight right if, if you look down at your knee kick out your leg you know when you squeeze your leg in front of you it feels nice and stable but if your knee is bent and then you're pushing laterally off the snow as you're carving lines while skiing um our body is just weaker in those positions we're not built like that we weren't we weren't born to ski but we can learn how to do it well so um that like how do we talk about maintaining your activity level whatever adventure you decide to go on um and fixing things as they come up yeah so to your question like joint health is primary for us that's in an in an initial assessment we'll go through a nice 
fine tooth comb uh, of the body of its joints. We check in with the spine. We check in with the uh, engines of the body, the shoulders and hips, then all the way down to the toes. And like we need someone to be able to lift their big toe, for example. So another one, audience, I'm just throwing a lot at you today. Um, but can you lift your big toe separate from your other toes? You can do that in your shoe or not, but you want to be able to lift your big toe like you're lifting your thumb and have the other toes down on the ground. See if you can do it. <laughs> yeah, got it. I was doing it while you were talking. <laughs> yeah, nice. That's check. what I'm hoping. Check, check. And if you can't, go see your local personal trainer or come come visit us. Mm-hmm. Love us. So, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say that you know, there's, there's so much like crossover and support, you know, I, I was just thinking like, David, do you, do you typically refer to, to trainers? Because, uh, you know, what I found in finding someone who's so integrated in the approach that understands the breath, the nutrition, like right down to the lymph and how it's delivering or exiting out the inflammatory load and the toxins so you can actually put nutrition into the area and the fascia, which we haven't talked about yet too. And just seeing that whole picture is such a nice compatible fit for like the stuff that I do biochemically. David obviously focuses a ton on structure as well. But how do you see like a model like that fit in with your patients? Because I mean, you only have so much time to go over like what you can. And there's so much just structural integrity rehabilitation you're doing that then there has to be some retraining that also happens on a very, very regular basis. But I was curious. Oh, no, yeah. Absolutely, man. So, you know, like you were saying, there's a spectrum of things that need to be addressed. And I can only, you know, if we look at like, a, if it's a pie chart, right, I can only address so much of the pie. And then there's other pieces that I don't like you're saying, I don't have time to do. So I have to have other people that I can refer out to, they can handle these things. So I know a lot of trainers in El Paso, and they all kind of work in a little bit different disciplines. So a lot of times if I have you know, a practice member that, okay, I'm like, you know what, this is more of like, we need to build some strength. I can always think of the trainer I know to send them, hey, I'm going to send them to this person because they need to work on these things. Or if it's something else, you know, and it's not a strength issue, but maybe it's a mobility stability issue. I'm thinking of somebody else, right? Yeah. You know, so it, it's it's constant. I, I refer people out everywhere from to people that do strength training to people that do like Pilates. I mean, it just depends on what we're working on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely a multi-therapeutic approach necessary when yeah. you're tackling these things. And it's not just you go to one person and expect them to get it all done. You a lot of times need to build a team like we talk around you of these different practitioners that are just in different trades. But like you're saying, there's crossover there. So they're just going to be able to, to spend more time working on those particular things that maybe somebody else doesn't have time to, but has assessed you and knows that their that work is needed there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. So, so Pax, there's the. I want to talk about the fascia. We've talked about this before, but in, yeah. in relation to injury, right? Like, because there's there's so much restriction that happens. I think when people think of a pain, like, and I do this, I'm guilty of this. I think of a pain, I, then I think of my age, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, we many of us buy into this. That's because I'm getting older. But let's talk about like. How do you bring life back into those tissues, right? Because there's so much restriction and adhesion that can happen in that fascial network that's surrounding encapsulating the joints and around the muscle bellies and whatnot. But um, let's talk about that because I think that's really key for preventing injury 
for rehabilitating out to understand some of the tissues that that need that that support yeah um let's i mean pax jump into tensegrity man this would be a good time for us to just talk about tensegrity and joint health and how that all works and if you can give our listeners more of like a global picture of how that works and then we can go from there yeah definitely so Tensegrity is tension integrity or the holding of the optimal position through tension where we're not compression structures primarily. So a building is a compression structure. We put a brick and then some mortar and another brick and we build this nice building and gravity from the earth pulls it down and keeps it in place. And that's great. That's the function of a building. For us, since we have to move against gravity all the time, and we need to lift ourselves off the planet and then throw objects and reach and play. Um, we need tension to do that. So tension in opposing directions, think of an elastic band, you're pulling on both ends of it, mm -hmm. and it gets nice and tight, and it holds a good shape, right? So we have all these elastic bands all over the body, and they're mediated by those nerve signals. So we need to have the understanding of how to tense that elastic band. We need to train the signal from the brain and then we need to train it um, systemically so that you can say, uh, pick up a heavy object and have the whole system pulling in all directions and not have one of the joints get, you know, severely compressed and, and pulled out of place. Like imagine um, if you hang on a monkey bar and then you completely relax you're going to dump out of your shoulders, right? And then you can pull all this tension along your spine. And so your fascial networks are now being pulled out of place because your muscles aren't helping keep things in place. The nervous system isn't communicating well. You've, you've just lost position. That's Injuries just happen because of fatigue a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. We can't resist the forces involved with an injury. So the joint gets pulled too far. And then the uh, system can't resist the amount of pull because we're just too tired or we don't have that level of strength. Um, so fascia is this beautiful substance. It's quite fluid. It's um, kind of like water and it's very conductive uh, electronically in the body or electrically, I should say. And it um, is huge in terms of signaling movement patterns. So as you glide through a movement pattern, if you move smoothly, we're distributing um, all of these these beautiful waves across fascia. Muscles aren't straight lines either. So you're not, you don't move like a robot, obviously. You're not uh, moving in these kind of, hopefully not moving in a very sticky way. You want to move more like you're made of water. And just picture any cool martial artist mm -hmm. that uh, you enjoy. Maybe Bruce Lee comes to mind for people, amazing mover. And the ability to express that style of movement really does uh, come down to not the muscle effort, but the fascial networks absorbing that tension and then being able to return it across um, the other the other body parts. So um, yeah, we have something like uh, a pitcher throwing a ball, right? You wind up to throw a ball and you squeeze these muscles and then the elastic effort goes through the tendons, through the fascia, distributes movement properly, you get all this nice gliding of all those surfaces. Um, if the fascia is messed up, then the surface doesn't glide. Then someone feels sticky. They try and throw a ball and their arm has this kind of yoink feeling, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, so yeah, not, not terribly technical, but I hope that landed for people in terms of the visual of, of moving fluidly. 
No, it's a wonderful way to represent it, man. And what I want our listeners to understand is, you know, you could have, for example, he's talking about the shoulder. You can have shoulder issues and the pain's there and you think that's where the problem is. And so you're focusing all your efforts there and it can be a hip issue or it could be an issue down the opposite side of the body, down in the knee and the ankle area. And so you have to think globally when you think of fascia. Fascia is this massive communication network that like he's saying is moving force throughout the body as a whole and so even at the spinal level you know we could have issues in the spine and it's coming you know from the knee from the bottom right you know so you can't chase the pain is what i'm trying to get at and understanding that this network has to be able to move energy efficiently across it otherwise like you're going to have the stickiness of the joint or range of motion issues or joint dysfunction or pain and then you can't handle those compressive forces so you know our, our joints are always floating as i tell everybody you're always floating right, that that the compressive forces from the bones taking right and then we have our cartilage and all these things that's there but if we didn't have the fascia we'd just be banging away from gravity all day and that that tense that tension that that tensegrity like he's saying is giving this lift and it's, it's almost like this opposing force that keeps that float there. So, I, I you know, I work with the brain all day. And the biggest thing, like he's talking, is one thing I teach people is, like, your fascia is about 40% of your force transmission, your force control, and your muscles are the other piece. And so both of these need to be healthy for you to have good integrity structurally. And where a lot of people uh, have issues where they need, like, hip replacements or their shoulders are all busted up, it's a fascial issue sometimes. It has nothing to do with the soft tissue. They don't have proper tensegrity, and that's why they have a loss of that compressive force of that joint. And if you don't address the fascia and you're just banging away at the soft tissue and stuff like that, you're kind of missing the boat there, and you're not going to heal. You're not going to see a resolution of your problem. Yeah, on, on that note, something to add about fascial training, um, training elasticity, training bounce, is incredibly effective for fascia. Um, one research paper we came across was about um, average one second per movement. So let's say you stand up and then you rotate to, you punch, you throw a punch to the left and you throw a punch to the right and you throw a punch to the left, one second each turn. And then you're looking at, you know, does this person distribute their weight symmetrically on each side? Can they can they pivot left, pivot right? Keep a nice tick-tock going, tick-tock, left, right. And um, if that's symmetrical and, and has a good cadence, a good bounce to it, we know we're really educating that fascial system that from the ground up into their hand moving through the air, from their toes to their fingers, they're getting that distribution of force, like you said, and it is a lot of the force involved where the muscles aren't taking much of that load, especially with a body weight exercise. You're not resisting uh, outside forces. You're just generating that torque inside your body. So, um, you know, you see a runner warming up and they're swinging their leg. They're doing kicks. One, two, one, two, just air kicks. And they're really getting that hip fascia to, to get bouncy, to get ready to respond to forces. Yeah. I love that. That's such an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, I think of most people probably aren't relating that muscular movement uh, to the fascia and don't think of like this this idea of adhesion so talk about like an injury state what is that fascia doing and and like you mentioned this beautiful concept which is so important david just referral 
Like you can, this fascial network runs from head to toe. So you, we've saw this in a cadaver lab, and I think Dave and I have talked about this. You can pull on the fascia on the toe, and you can see the fascia on the face move. So mm -hmm. it's like it's profound to think of like just how interconnected this fascial network is. But it's so important this in this this concept of injury, like where we get stuck, and like so if you're having troubles touching your toe, for example, like you know what else is going on? But I'd love to hear like rehabilitation piece because Dave and I talk all the time about you know cellular health and cell membrane health and you know the biochemistry of the body and how to rehabilitate that and the nerve compression that can happen just even with spinal integrity all those things but let's let's break down what's happening and say like a knee that's just broken down like what's what's going on with the tissues locally there and um and what can we do to rehabilitate that well i think let's start with just the global picture right so I work with fascia all day, man. I mean, the more I've learned about it, the more I realize like we're not even close. We don't have enough of the understanding of how powerful this this system is because I actually count it as a system. But people just I don't think in their thinking of the body or at that dimension yet of looking at the fascia as a big piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. So a guy named uh, Dr. James Oshman, uh, you can check this guy out. He's the one that had started doing a lot of this research on the fascia. And he calls it the extracellular matrix. And they did some pretty interesting um, experiments. And I've talked to you about these, Nick, where they shine the light through somebody's eye and they saw, they timed how long it would take to light up the occipital lobe of the brain, right? Mm -hmm. And then they found an acupuncture on the person's heel, a point on their heel, and they stimulated it with a, like a pen. And they saw how fast for the same part of the brain to light up. And which one do you think lit up the brain faster, the, the shining the light through the eye or the pinprick on the heel? Well, I know the answer, but go ahead. Interesting. Well, they're both moving at the speed of light. <laughs> the the pinprick right. and the and the light are moving at the speed of light. But I mean, I'm I'm going to go with the pinprick just because uh, our um yeah our our nervous system is probably a lot more adapted in that sense. Right, so the pinprick on the fascia relayed faster than the light moving to the nervous system. So what they've actually gathered about our connective tissue matrix is it actually moves energy and information faster than our nervous system. But what's interesting, than like a nerve conducting, right? But what's, in, what's interesting about it is your entire fascial network breaks off of your brain's spinal cord. Our dura mater, all, those, all that covering that's actually covering our brain's spinal cord that piece is just literally an extension, and that's what our fascia is. It encases our whole body, covers everything, and it has fibers that intertwine into every living cell of your body. And this network is moving energy and information all day. So when you're looking at the fascial system as a whole, even somebody who has a knee problem or a hip problem, or it doesn't matter where the problem is, right? Let's just say it's a joint problem. You have to start central with the spine and the brain and figure out, okay, where is this problem coming from? So, like, for example, one of the things I do is I assess adverse mechanical cord traction. So we're actually looking at the torsion of the spinal cord within the vertebral column. And so the reason people subluxate and have different postural distortions is because of that particular torsion pattern within the column of their spine. And that's what actually moves, moves the passive system, which is the vertebra and everything. And that's, what, that's when you see the distortion. So this starts literally at the brain and the spinal cord. This is where these distortions start. Mm -hmm. And this is based off how we're adapting our environment. 
So we have three types of stress. You have physical stress, you have biochemical stress, you have mental emotional stress. And all these things are influencing how that fascia is going to play out and how much torque you have. And then it's going to have a global effect from that central component. So somebody can be having, for example, issues like in their low back of their hip and all the spinal, all the, the, the fascial torsion is up here at the base of the base of the neck or it's in their skull. Because I do cranial dural work where we actually get in and move the fascia within the brain and the skull. And then I work a lot with just on the spinal cord. So just those two components have a global effect. I mean, when I move the fascia within the, the sutures of the skull and the brain, it actually affects the sacrum and the pelvis. I'm getting a global change downstream. And then sometimes we find a lot of that, that torsion is at the sacrum and the tailbone area. And we're releasing it there to influence something up top, maybe up in the shoulder girdle or the head and neck. So I want our listeners to understand that like where this is coming from a lot of times has a central component. And then you got to work your way, way outwards to the extremities to see globally how that's affecting. So a lot of people, for example, let's say I find all that torsion, you know, in the cord tension and it's all showing that they have cord tension on the right side of their body down to their right foot. Okay. That's going to have a global effect on how they handle force on that whole side of their body, the right shoulder, the right hip, the right knee, all the way down to the foot. So then what I see when I assess people is, oh, wow, you have no force control on this right side of your body. And then what do you think we see? The passive system is busted. They're subluxated at the foot and the ankle, the knees out of place, the hips out of place, the pelvis has torque. It doesn't have any, any integrity. And then you just work your way up all the way to the base of the skull. But then you can see this just big picture. And then the patient's complaint is the same side. Oh, my right hip hurts. My low back on the right hurts. You know, this shoulder is always hurting. And it's just showing I'm just seeing energetically where they're not moving energy and information through the body. And it's all just coming from this fascial component. So it's very interesting when you start looking at it globally. And then you can move, make your way from that central component and then go down to the specifics of just trying to make changes at the joint, right? But it's a global thing. It's it's not, by any means, fascia is not a specific area where you're just going to address it at the joint. So I'm not just going to mess with a shoulder problem at the shoulder. That would be a waste of time. And so for people that have had these chronic issues with your joints or your health, understand that like most of the time the problem has is nowhere close to where you're experiencing your pain and your discomfort. It's in a completely different area. Yeah, yeah. I think you nailed it with, with the chronic issues as well. That's a good sign that it's something a lot more systemic. Um, I love that picture of, of fascia really connecting everything. And so the, the way we teach it to people, uh, to our students, to our clients who come in, and, and we really want to make it stick. I mean, you only floss the teeth that you want to keep. So you only floss the joints that you want to keep in your body as well. So you move in ways that get um, gliding. They get motion is lotion, if you will. So you 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 um, lotion hydrates skin. You know if you apply it topically, but also if you move, you apply internal lotion to your tissues. So we have uh, head to toe joint flossing protocols. Um, we've got people moving. Um, just through activities of daily living, plus then spinal waves throughout the day, right? Like move your spine on the angles that it doesn't get when you're sitting. 
and it doesn't have to be intense. Frequency beats intensity. Um, so just doing two minutes per day is going to be a lot more valuable than trying to do a full class on one weekend um, and like, okay, let's do, you know, 200 minutes and, uh, and get all the reps done now because I'm really busy this week. We need a lot more consistency for people. Um, so that minimum effective dose is just move your entire body, wiggle your entire body, if you will, through hopefully the biggest range of motion possible in a nice light way on a regular basis. And you will have flossed all of the tissues that you want to keep in good working order. Um, picture a, I don't know, 100-year-old Tai Chi master. They're not super ripped. They're not super muscle-bound and everything, but they move exquisitely. Mm -hmm. They can balance on one foot with their other foot, like in a perfect split straight line next to them. Their spine is perfectly elongated. Their breathing is super smooth. They can fully rotate their shoulder through these beautiful circles. And that's what we hope for people's joints, right? That's mm -hmm. what should be the precursor to all of the um, big movement patterns that we're chasing, all of the heavy squats and deadlifts and uh, bench pressing and push-ups and all that. The integrity of the joint, like you said, is going to be held much better if we learn how to express full range of motion on a regular basis and with an appropriate level of tension. So this is critical, that people learn that tension is a spectrum, that I can make a fist I can squeeze my hand at 10% or I can squeeze my hand at 100% and it feels very different. If I go to 100%, I'm not just squeezing my hand anymore, right? The whole body, I'm squeezing my abdomen, I'm almost clenching my butt cheeks and I'm like, oh, you know, this is, this is a tight fist. And so that um, expression of tension allows you to explore in your body where those restrictions are, right? If I If I take my cervical spine through a nice big circle gently, okay, that feels great. If I produce tension in my body, if I pull downward with my core muscles, and then I do that same neck circle, then I might feel a big stretch along certain tissues. And that's showing me, okay, the tensegrity in the system could use some better rebalancing. Just like um, the clothing that we're wearing, right? If I pull my t-shirt downward, and then I pull it upward at the neck position, the t-shirt gets bigger, it elongates. So that's happening across our fascial lines. I activate muscles, I pull down on those fascial networks, and then I move the other fascial networks um, that are above or below that part, trying to get a bit more space, a bit more gliding, a bit more push-pull inside these systems. And then we move with much better quality. We also have better uh, load-bearing capacity. The nervous system turns on those tissues at a better rate, so I like to say squeezing is believing. Um, so if you know how to squeeze your body, then you believe uh, it's, it works. It, it uh, can resist forces. Um, and then choose your movement pattern. You know, then get good at Tai Chi, get good at, at whatever it is. But start with those foundational practices. You know, like uh, for myself, it's um, my knees and my spine. I'm, I'm on my feet a lot of the time. I like to run races and carry heavy objects and do obstacles and um, so for me, it is a lot of bending my spine in three dimensions, twisting my knees. You know, I, I actually only learned that within the last six years that my tibia rotates. I didn't know that in my twenties. I didn't know that, that my kneecap and my tibia could twist in different directions 
and that my knee could have this this torsional space but obviously it makes so much sense now that i understand the body so um so that like i need to express knee twisting on a regular basis if i want to maintain that function long term mm -hmm. a, i think i think what we did today was laid such a really beautiful holistic foundation for people to start thinking differently about their body how to move it and and then when, when it comes to like like lifting weights like lifting weights for me now is really more it's a it's an exercise of the brain and the nervous system like i told him often when i go work out with you like i'm hungrier than if i was to just hit the gym really hard and move through like chest squats whatever because i'm engaging my entire nervous system in such a focused way and when i'm moving through a range of motion i am in that like full body tensegrity experience so the engagement level is like super high and i don't think people really you know talk talk about a, like even an efficiency level we spend all this time in the gym and maybe we're chatting with our friends or you know whatever it is that we do in the gym we spend typically way longer than we're supposed to there <laughs> we're not really getting near the work done that we could and you know so learning this this stuff for ourselves i think is is just foundational and i really see this as the future of movement and you know early adopter you know the mindset of biohacking they're looking at how all these systems intersect and how they all work together but it is is foundational like we're you said this at the beginning we're meant to move our bodies we're not trees we're not stationary so how can we move our bodies more effectively you know how do we think about our bodies differently so the exercise isn't maybe secondarily to do with vanity but primarily to get more out of this physical vehicle that we're living in and i mean i think that's really one of the key messages i want people to appreciate when they listen to this is like i want you to get curious about how to move your body differently like to ask the questions what else is possible how like maybe i want to do a handstand maybe i want to roll around on the ground like my grandkids you know maybe i want to do a backflip i don't know what that that's actually just put that on my list Awesome. Um, the, like, what are the things that you've always been curious about? And I think it's important to ask ourselves that question. And then, you know, so let's say someone's there, they're in that space of curiosity. You know, we know where we can find you. Um, but what do people look for? Like, say, in El Paso, or like, what do you look for? Do, is it an important task to interview your trainer beforehand? Or like, like, what are some resources? We also did a podcast with Ryan Hurst. He's got a great online platform, that GMB Fitness um but like you know tell it tell us maybe a little bit more about where people can find you here locally and then for those that are not local like how do you start engaging these questions to find someone like you in mm -hmm. the area yeah i mean for us um just restorehuman.com that's our website that's where you can find all the trainers um our articles videos and uh then obviously if you're in vancouver area that'd be awesome for you to come visit us at the studio we're at uh in the heart of kitsilano 3574 west 4th right beside aphrodite's pie shop if you like pie after training just saying um <laughs> best pies ever actually they're, yeah they're amazing so um i think in general in terms of interviewing your trainer i would uh, just see if that lens of curiosity is there you know see if um you say i want certain goals and and get them to to just riff on they don't have to write it out but riff on how they might um step on the the stepping stones towards that goal right what's the training journey what's their 
um, critical thinking around the, the training journey, right? We talked about a lot of concepts today, stabilization, strength, endurance, cardiovascular fitness, nutrient delivery to, to muscles, like what systems do they understand and what systems will they be able to um, take you on a journey with? Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think, yeah, if, if that makes sense to you, then you're good to go, right? Um, obviously, the, the um, I didn't invent the push-up, right? I didn't invent any of the movements that I teach. I just teach good movements and I've studied a lot of different systems. So that's another thing. Look at people's background, what books they like, what um, other practitioners they enjoy in the industry, what uh, movement practices they themselves do. And you'll get an idea of, of how much um, they can, they can understand how many twists and turns your training journey might take with them. Yeah. Well, one of the things I appreciate about, about Pax was like, dude, I want to do a handstand. Oh, he's like, Oh, like this. Yeah, 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 like exactly like that. Like a lot of things that that I see that I want to do, like you're doing, and it's like you practice what you preach. It's not just like you know he's hitting McDonald's in between sets with patients, and you know he's he's living it to lead it. You know, as we like to say, David. So um, yeah, any any final thoughts on your end, buddy? Well, no, I love it the way he described just find how to find a trainer. You know, another way that I would say outside of just interviewing them is. If you're, if the trainer you're talking to is still in that conventional method of training, then run for the hills. You need to find somebody like Pax that's outside the box. Like you can tell just from talking to this guy, he's already outside the box. He's very curious and he understands a whole lot more systems than the general trainer does. And that's, and that's, ne- that's necessary now. I mean, you know, I don't know what it's like up there, but like in El Paso, being a trainer is like one of those things that some of these people will do just. Like right out of high school, they just get that general training uh, certification and then they, they turn it into a career for like decades, but they don't ever go past just that general education they got. And all they do is like train people how to lift weights all day. And it drives me nuts because it's like doesn't do much for people, right? So again, I'm jealous because like I wish there was something like what you guys have up there down here. But yeah, I mean, like he was saying, ask the right questions. Look for that curiosity. Do they have an understanding of more systems? And how they put them together, um, and yeah, and you're you're going to be way ahead, I think, of most people that are just with the general average Joe trainer. I have something to add there. Like the why of training is extremely. Oh, it's everything. The why? Why are you training? Are you training to look good naked? Mm-hmm. Cool. Find a trainer who can deliver on that. Right. If that's what you want, go find someone who hopefully looks great naked. Maybe don't ask them to take their shirt <laughs> off in the first day. But it's part of the interview. Um, but exactly. Um, you know, if that, just identify your why and then follow that path. If you really want to be pain-free and um, hiking up a mountain with your grandson, then express that. Tell your trainer, I want, I want, a, I want a couple knees that work really well. I want to hike up and down this mountain with my grandson uh, carrying 40 pounds on my back because I'm going to need a tent. It's an overnight trip. Boom. Trainers will understand that, right? We can work with those numbers. We can say, cool, carrying 40 pounds is easy. We just got to carry it in a good posture. And let me teach you that. And then, oh, it's going to take you two days. Okay, let's work on cardiovascular endurance. You need two days of endurance in your body. And there we go. So like, it's, it's that. It's like, it's common sense at the end of the day to find how to achieve those, those training goals. Um, but it's the, the why and then 
the um, making sure that that it's it's safe and fun, you know, like that's a, a big thing for people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, brother, thank you so much for being here on the call with us. And David's dropped the the hint that he's actually coming to Vancouver to visit. So. <laughs> We're going to come in to restore human. Maybe we should do a little video uh, of our experience there. But um, yeah, it's been so great. I, I love listening to you guys speak on, on these concepts of laying out the foundation, even like as you geek out on, on the, the fascia and whatnot. Like it, it paints such a beautiful picture of this beautiful vehicle we get to drive every day. And I think so much of that is just taken for granted. And we just buy into this idea that we're aging, we're getting older, we're, we're, we're meant to feel pain, we're meant to be restricted from movement, and you're changing the paradigm of that, which I love. Both of you guys are, well, all of us are. And uh, I want people listening to really, you know, become more curious and tap into their why. So, awesome stuff, guys. Thank you. We'll see you in the next one. Awesome. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to The Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.